As it was in the beginning, is now in the end. As the winds of change blew across this Southside Serengeti. The battle for the Southside had it all. Archaeologists unearthed ancient scrolls of Fianna Fáil landlady blog posts. The Greens booked the government line with their warrior asking for her number two vote to go to Labour. Sinn Féin tested their relatability in posh parts of town by ordering 32 chicken wings in Tribeca and painting a massive you are now entering free Donnybrook mural on the gable end of Kylie's. Labour burst through their paltry showing in national polls like a contestant swinging through a large sheet of paper like that bit at the end of Gladiators. The sock dems were just nice to everyone and generally tend to make sense, but couldn't ramp up the number ones they needed in a race typified by progressive female candidates. Male Finnegal politicians lost their absolute minds when the qualifications of different candidates were pointed out in a newspaper column. And then again, with a classist and ugly form of campaigning in their red alert tweet on Thursday night, warning of the enthusiasm with which people voted in working class areas. And the night before voting day, the government parties, Finnegal, Finnefall and the Greens voted through an amendment to stamp duty, which means cuckoo funds and large investment funds that mass purchase housing, meaning actual people can't compete, will receive refunds if they lease the properties back to the state for social housing. But in the end, the most experienced and most election-hardy Ivana Bacic of the Labour Party won, topping the poll and leaving James Gagan nowhere near the 5% plus lead he needed to stay in the race as Bacic's transfers came through too. Meanwhile, the tension in Finnefall between whether to consider cannibalising themselves in a reactionary leadership battle or just to lick their wounds and try to wipe the by-election from memory is ongoing. As the final banners were unfurled over the treacherous rope bridges of the crocodile-infested Grand Canal and ministers stopped traffic with end-is-nigh sandwich boards, the good citizens of this independent breakaway republic decided who their next emperor was. It's been a roller coaster, and now it's time to try and get comfy in the armchair, light a pipe, unwrap a Werther's original and sprinkle some grandfatherly wisdom on what we can learn from this by-election and what it says about where we're going. This is the United Ireland Dublin Bay South by-election podcast bonanza. Welcome to the battle for the South Side. Duklonski and beyond Lorcan. 32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is our final instalment of the United Ireland Dublin-based South by-election podcast, Bonanza Specials. Podcast special, Bonanza. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. But for the last month, we've been unnecessarily focusing in far too much detail on the Dublin-based South by-election. But this ridiculousness has been made possible by you and your support on Patreon. Without you throwing us three euro a month, or perhaps maybe more, we can't make these podcasts. So we're extraordinarily grateful for those who are supporting us. And if you are yet to support us and keep saying, do you know what? I must, I must sign up on Patreon because I like the cut of their jibs. Uh, please do go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and give us that little three euro a month. Um, this is the part of podcasts I hate when they're the hosts are asking for your support, but it's required, people. It's required. Uh, you can also spread the word, though. You can tell your friends about the pod. 
you could maybe send them a little WhatsApp or signal. Uh, share some episodes on your social media. Click that five star button on an iTunes podcast review thing, place. Just give us some love. Love is love and we will return the love. I think namaste. we need to, to bring the uh, speaking of namaste there, Andre, we need to bring the wind chimes back in. Because uh, I think this is a bit of a reflection time moment in United Ireland where we roll out the mat and ground ourselves in some calm and considered reflections on the recent past. Do you think that's fair? I think that is lovely. And what we're known for in a calmness, consideration. <laughs> what did you make of the election campaign energy now that it is done? Um, I think overall it was the perfect leapfrog moment from pandemic hysteria into political hysteria uh, <laughs> and it provided like an ult- an ulterior thing to focus on um, I think it really it really highlighted the different ways of campaigning and how I, it feels like we always talk about how the referendums changed us as a country but I think that's really coming through in terms of how people relate to politics and what they expect and uh, people just want to know what's gone down and what's, what's the shit and they don't want nasty tricks. They don't want people just uh, peacocking around. They want to know what do you stand for? What are you going to do? Cut the shit, be yourself. And yeah, I think that came true then when you watch how the parties performed. Yeah, because we ended up in a situation where by the ninth count, um, Ivana Bacic had more than 4,000 votes, uh, more than James Gagan. Um, in third uh, was Lynn Boylan and Claire Byrne were kind of were eliminated simultaneously. But uh, Lynn had um, maybe 2,000 to two and a half thousand more votes. Um, of course, Deirdre Conroy, 1,247 first preferences, not ideal Mannix Flynn did quite well. I would imagine that might have something to do with his, his uh, um, rhetoric around the Sandy uh, Sandy Mount cycle shenanigans lane stuff. Um, and the Sultans did quite poorly. Eight, 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 four, nine first preferences. Um, you know, 90 fewer than that was Bridget Purcell so we're going to go through our little um, takeaways from uh, the campaign. But first of all, uh, th- there was a bunch of different stuff happening on the day of the count, Andrea. What were your uh, what was your version of events from that? There were some key moments that were like we talk about politics and the entertainment of politics. And I think that was never as evident as on counting day where you had these people who were like as if they were playing politicians first of all you had the professor trying to get into the count center and instead of being a politician she was there for the drama and social media and the content essentially she was there to make content which is depressing martini but uh obviously uh the policeman Hugh Shovelin uh being the gas bitch uh and being and calling her out and all the, the shenanigans but I think that was that was sent around virally, but also in, ma- in the mainstream media. Um, so 
it's very evident that you do that that it is show business and that was the and the outskirts of the counter was where that was coming in especially when Justin Barrett arrived in his like souped up Merc van or not van it was a jeep thing and his army uh, of security came out behind him now there was conversations down at the count center that maybe they were all actors as opposed to security folk um and it was just the the kind of visual that he was portraying of him with the lads around him. And it was like, you're actually showboating and trying to create, like it was like something out of a film rather than a, a town centre in Dublin 4. Like, come on. Yeah, they're probably just other, they're other national party activists or whatever you want to call them, right? Dressed yeah. up. Yeah. All dressed up in the matching outfits and all. Um, then we had Billy Timmons losing his shit on social media of like how... Um, Fine Gael's candidate was uh, a victim of misandry and how that's why they lost. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's insightful as always. Men, always the victim of misandry when it comes to politics, aren't they? Oh, how do they do it? How do they get themselves noticed and get elected? It's so hard. Uh, also, then <laughs> I just, I actually screamed like when... Um, Leo was doing his chat outside and he was like, you know, we do want a gender parity on the on the bill for the general election. And, you know, like Kate can run if she wants. <laughs> it was just so funny. Cool. Thanks a million if she wants. Um, and also Jim O'Callaghan, who he kind of like, it's kind of for the best that they didn't do so well, really, in terms of his positioning in the in the constituency but him coming out going announcing that Fianna Fáil doesn't really understand the scale of the housing crisis 48 hours after voting on Vulture Fund's tax breaks that's an interesting take a gym yeah I did think though that like that thing that he said he did say that Sinn Féin's popularity is not just about a belief that people have that they hold all the solutions but that they actually understand um they understand the scale of it and Fianna Fáil doesn't. I think it's very honest to actually say something like that because it's, it's, you know, they clearly don't, but like normally politicians don't like saying that they don't understand what's going on in the country. So that goes back to not just talking the talk, but walk the walk. Don't do that vote and then say you don't understand it. Like maybe that'll cut through. Um, and then I thought one of the worst things of the whole day was Deirdre Conroy being left on her own to get her results as they came in. The party completely abandoned her. Not, uh, And I think that really speaks volumes. And I think while there there is obviously you have a lot of friends when you're winning, it's who stands beside you when you're not doing so well. And I thought that was very uh, clear and evident and, and just heartbreaking like for her. Like she put herself out there um, nobody else would step up. Uh, they knew they weren't going to win. So she was kind of putting herself up to be slammed. And then they just left her there. Scabby. Bit of a classic Fianna Fáil thing. It's really like when I read that um, part, that that piece of Miriam Lord's piece, when, when she said that, like, it's just so lonely and brutal politics, electoral politics, you know, like, and just you know, Fianna Fáil had already moved on to like fighting with themselves and like, yeah, like you say, like here's this person who 
you know, she wasn't a very strong candidate. She didn't perform very well in interviews. There was, you know, kind of ridiculous stuff, micro scandals in her past and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, like the brutality um, and the cutthroat nature of, of, of the, the, the game of it all, I suppose, that it's just like, next, okay, who are you again? You know, it's like, whoa. Hi, Felicia. It's also so, it's such a popularity contest. Like being, uh, waiting for the results to come out, I was putting myself in the position of if you were like running and it just feels so like, it kind of goes in on all your ego stuff, all your like, all your emotional wear of like, do people like me enough to vote for me? It's like, uh, I, it's just stross of that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the stross, the stross, the storage. Um, okay, now we're going to go to our top 10 takeaways of um, an abundance of activity within this election. The first takeaway that I find fascinating uh, in observing social media chatter around the final days of the election and the campaigning is how the old school ways, unless they are very connected to people, don't work. And what's interesting to me about this is the Thursday morning when various ministers were going out with the sandwich board things in the traffic now and people were just like this is pathetic they look ridiculous la 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 and what's interesting to me is that that happens you know an awful lot like in in an election um campaign like the the biggest people in the party will go out and they'll do the the cheesy stuff at the end and getting people to beep and reminding people to get out the vote but I suppose a new generation is engaging with electoral politics and a lot of the stuff from the past that was just these kind of cliched, corny things that people did really look stupid to a lot of people who, you know, may not have been engaged with or may not even have been alive uh, in elections in the in the 90s and stuff and so on. And you really kind of think that almost the aesthetics of 20th century Irish political campaigning the rosettes, the people up on the shoulders at the count centre. I mean, obviously you can't do that now in, in a pandemic, but all of, and the sandwich boards and the, all that kind of stuff just looks kind of ridiculous to people. And I think that really landed then when the kind of the old school megaphone out the car uh, stuff for Fianna Fáil was happening in Dublin Bay South. People were just like, this is just so crazy. So it's like, it's interesting that this stuff has, has always happened, but I suppose in a new era, it just looks people are no longer like well, what is it it's like people are no longer like um enthused about or familiar with or accepting of these kind of more cheesier tropes of campaigning and instead are actually like use or look ridiculous do you think that's true um i think it is true i think that things feel a bit more I don't know, not professional, but a bit more like, yeah, professional. People are like, you could, why are you wasting your time standing on the middle of a road? Do you think someone's going to drive down that road and be like, oh, there's that fella, I'm going to vote for him. It, like, it just, people are so, but then again, 
I am I'm like people are so much more in contact with politics. And then I think back to a voicemail I was sent of like, yeah, they just actually voted because they liked his poster. And there was they didn't know anything that was going on or any of the policies. It was just like, yeah, he had a nice poster, so I voted for him. So actually, I don't know what I think there. I think there's this different scale of engagement, but I do think that um there's a bit of an existential issue for parties still doing the older um the stuff that they were doing in the 70s and 80s you know doesn't really doesn't really work now especially when they're trying to engage with the tactic of social media for example but can't actually get the message right or get the aesthetic right um anyway what's our second takeaway in our top 10 takeaways (laughs) Mm, chinese uh number two the candidate caliber competence and character can win even when your party is doing terribly in the polls. So I think there was a lot of conversation before going, well, how could Labour do this? Like they're polling so low. And I think it's very clear though that Ivana transcended the party. People weren't coming out to vote for Labour, they were coming out to vote for Ivana. And like a lot of the conversation online that I've seen has been people going, um, do people not remember what Labour did? Like blah, 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 blah. And it was like, there's, uh, even though you are voting for the person and they are part of the party, it, they, they, they are connected. But I think on, on this occasion, there was more at play in that it, it, people were holding Ivana for what she is um, and what she represented rather than uh, buying into party politics on this occasion. Yeah, and it's very contextual. And and the outlier in that um, is, of course, Sinn Féin, who are, are really focused on the party brand as opposed to the candidacy. Maybe down the line, you know, not immediately, but perhaps when they are in government, that's something that in the, in the long term is going to be difficult for them because there is the randomer effect with Sinn Féin because the party brand is so, so strong that loads of people who don't necessarily have experience or people don't really know get elected on that. And perhaps when they are in government, people may start going like, hang on, who, who are these people? You know, so it's a weird flip. But I think that you're you're right that the, it was about the candidate in this context and it was about the candidate in this context because that candidate was there. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'm like, I think people extrapolating a lot of sp- stuff with regards to is this a labor resurgence or like are they going to have a renaissance or whatever like I I think that's a bit overplayed because of course it's a boost for labor you know even in 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 a pure sense in a morale sense there's no doubt about that but as you say the candidate was unique and of course it doesn't damage labor the complete opposite but you know is it going to you know, cause a massive resurgence. I mean, I, I think it depends where they're running and who the candidates are. Um, and I think it was interesting that, like, it was very clear that people voted for Ivana as a candidate rather than a party and that people voted for James as a party and not a candidate. Yeah, very true. That brings us into our third takeaway, which is that whether people are reading too much or not to read too much into a Labour resurgence. And also... Uh, not to read too much into a perceived Green Party collapse either. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think what came true for the Green Party anyway is that they are 
for me anyway, that there is a lot of good work being done by the Green Party in government. And I think from the 32 questions, they have really shaped my political view that I didn't realize before how much um, how much I was influenced by our work in it. No, but I think that the importance of compromise in politics has really come true and how if you want to go into, if you are, go, you have to want to go into government and you have to be able to like give and take. And I think that that came true for the Green Party that whilst they're in government with, uh, I was going to say a share of shites, but I think that might not be very PC, uh, but they're in government with parties, but doing good work and getting stuff over the line that was that they put into the programme for government. So I think um, it's a more steady as opposed to collapse or research. Yeah. Um, and I think that obviously, you know, votes for uh, so-called progressive women or whatever you want to call some of the candidates were kind of cannibalized across the board by Ivana Bacic. I do think that the Greens are doing damage to themselves kind of week in, week out when you see that the picture of the dull vote breakdown come up on your Twitter feed. You always know it's going to be something bad and um, how they are going along with some of the more reprehensible votes and policies uh, of the government, particularly related to investment funds and so on, will hurt them Um much more in other kind of constituencies maybe mm. than this one. Um, although obviously there was, you know, when you got closer to town, the turnout was much higher and it certainly uh, wasn't people voting for government parties. But yeah, I don't think that, I, I, I'm not convinced yet that they are going to be hit as hard as perhaps they have been in the past when they have been in coalition government. But there's plenty left in this term um, the government if it, if it lasts it what is our fourth takeaway in our top 10 takeaways Andrea number four uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fianna Fáil are in worse shape than they realise um, and I think there was a lot of people trying to pin that all on Micheál Martin over the weekend and uh, a lot of commentary coming through going if, if Fianna Fáil think their worst thing is uh, Micheál Martin, Jesus, they're fucked. Uh, but I think there's a lot, I think there's a big existential problem for Fianna Fáil at the moment because they're so stuck between two worlds in the like the party that they were of conservatives uh, going to, leaning into a liberal world, which is where the world is moving. But how do you, how do you go bridge that gap without losing your base and then and try and expand out and maybe Deirdre Conroy was meant to be that she was she was repeal um but also she was quite conservative and Fianna Fáilí as well so but I don't know it just feels a bit like who are we what are we what are we gonna do yeah and I think the people within the party as well like these kind of the Mark McSharries and the whoever else just, you know, posting their breakup quotes or whatever on social media. Oh my God. It's just like, oh, you just don't really get it. And the reason that they're struggling so much with relevance is because they are broadly irrelevant. Mm. And it's very hard to get that back. Um, You know, uh, I think you're, you're, you're right in pointing out like people trying to pin things on Micheál Martin, like 
caliber wise, you know, intellect wise, Neil Martin's probably one of the better, much, much better um, figures in the party. And even at that, he's extraordinarily lacking as a lead as a leader. Uh, leader. Both of the party and of and of the country and struggles, I think, to kind of connect and and not, you know, perpetrate this very even in the in the rhetoric like this very kind of civil servant bureaucratic type speak. You know, it, it just doesn't doesn't really doesn't really connect with people, and um, it is an absolute disaster for them that the sitting TD, who was also the director of elections, could not get more than a third of the vote, the first preference votes that he got last year. I mean, it's just it's just a disaster. But I think, again, they're slipping up with, um, you know, choosing a, a, a candidate that, that you, they think, I suppose they're thinking about the superficial elements of it. Like, let's get a woman. Let's get somebody who was, you know, somehow can reference the repeal movement, you know, but it's not enough to just go for the characteristics or the superficial tick boxes of that kind of thing. You you have to have the substance to back it up now, especially in a by-election where really the individual candidates are going to be um, exposed to so much scrutiny. And unlike in a general election where you have hundreds of candidates, so like the focus won't be so so harsh and, and, and the glare won't be so harsh and you'd feel sorry for Deirdre Conroy in a way, I suppose, you know, she didn't do herself any favours, but like, what is Fianna Fáil going to do? I mean, they just don't seem to have any route forward, any path forward at all. Um, Maybe they could take a career break or something for a few years. <laughs> really big, well, maybe they should all go well, travel around Thailand for a year and come back and see what they've learned or something. I think the main problem for them is that I think AIM2 are going to start mopping up the Conservatives mm. that aren't that are going to fall away from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael a bit more. And if they're losing their Conservatives but aren't touching in with the Progressives, they're kind of lost in a whirlwind in the middle. And they've also just... The brand identity, I suppose, has been so eroded by being in coalition with Fianna Gael and when you think about the the amount of power that these two entities once held, well, in the 20th century anyway, and a little bit into the 21st in Irish politics, and now they can only get by by going in together and having a coalition party in the Greens. I mean, when you look at how they perform in, some, in, a, in an election like this, it really kind of brings it home, particularly for Fianna Fáil, they're they're kind of on the road to nowhere at the moment. And given their form of like backstabbing and infighting and all that kind of stuff, it might get a bit uglier for them than before it gets better. But I can't see really anyone in there unless they do a mass shakeup and, and go for one of their much younger candidates, you know, or younger politicians or younger figures to go like, we're just going to completely change everything. And, you know, this is going to be your new path. But that also doesn't feel very authentic to them, you know? And then how, what do they do with all the people they're leaving behind? Mm. It's a, like, I would not like to be doing the PR campaign for that. No. Or, or writing the strategy. I'm like, oh, if that was a client coming to me in PR, I'd be like, oh, I don't know who you are, babes. <laughs> Our fifth takeaway 
is about a kind of more nuanced shift, but also quite an explicit one with how many of the candidates emerged from activist politics and also that shadow of repeal. So when you look at, you know, feminist politics or activist politics, it's rare that you would have a ballot. First of all, the ballot was so healthy. Like there were loads of people that you could, that I think the average person could choose from, you know, usually they're, you kind of, not usually, sometimes you look at who the candidates are in your constituency and go, God, that's only even one or two of these. But really, I think that there was um, a depth there. Uh, but so many came from activist politics, not necessarily the traditional tribal politics that we've been told form the foundations of Irish electoral politics. So obviously Bacic, student activist back in the day, clearly, you know, long time Labour person as well. Um, and and a, I'm a feminist activist and abortion rights activist kind of all through the years. Deirdre Conroy emerged in a, in a way from the legal um, aspect of um, cases been taken with regards to abortion rights. Deirdre Purcell, uh, you know, came involved in PBP through standing with Debenhams workers. Um, and Bridget Purcell, sorry, Bridget Purcell, my God. Um, I'm a little hazy, I have to say, from the election slash Euros weekend. Sarah Durkin obviously emerged from the Waking the Feminist movement. Peter Dooley emerged from the housing movement. Uh, to a lesser extent, I suppose, Lynn Boylan, uh, you know, Sinn Féin politicians like to call themselves Sinn Féin activists and things like that. Um, so that's a massive shift, I think, that you're not seeing the more kind of dynastic um, aspect of things or the more, uh, you know, it's less obvious, like here's somebody who was in, you know, the youth wing of a party, although Bacic would have been. But it, do you know what I mean? There seems to be a different kind of cohort of people on the ballot that that are much more represented on the kind of frontline type stuff than that what you'd usually see. But I think that goes back to people wanting more meat, uh, apart from vegetarians, <laughs> um, on their candidates and not just being into party politics. Like people don't care about buying into the, the party dream anymore. They dream about what issues are relevant to their lives and how those candidates are going to help them and what what whether they agree with them on those issues or not as opposed to well I'm in this like and I've spoken to some to a few people who are like let's make the party great again it's like nobody cares about your stupid party they care about their lives and and the the community and the systems that are in place and I think there's like an egotistical and maybe that is as the the balance shifts away from being a male led uh, pastime. Can I call politics a pastime? Yes. Uh, as it as it becomes more balanced and less maybe ego driven, um, and not to be general, like obviously not all men, blah blah blah, but like the, as you have more people coming in, going actually, I want to do this to change the country I want to do this to bring the country along as opposed to I actually just want to do this to swing my big dick around I think that you've definitely hit on something there and I think that we hear from women politicians all the time about how 
They tend to be better working cross party. They tend to be better collaborators and they tend to be more efficient in progressing legislation and and specific campaigns and less inclined to be playing the power politics or getting involved in the game um, and, and and the, you know, the art of war stuff and the, and the strategies around power, um, you know, that's mostly typified by this constant um, repetition of how, you know, the sock dams have a leadership issue because there's two leaders there. Well, that's an interesting, you know, non-hierarchical lens to put on something and, and let's see how it goes. Obviously the sock dams have more TDs than they've ever had and they have two female leaders and that's a very unique structure um, the media, however, and, you know, the parties themselves are very, very hung up on power struggles and they're very hung up on themselves. They're very, very in their own bubbles. They think that their world, you know, the Fianna Fáil world or the Fine Gael world or whatever is, is, is the universe. And you can really see that lack of self-awareness um, ongoing from Varadkar saying that, you know, Gagan's going to run again <laughs> and to the um, the infighting and also like, should we be fighting with ourselves now? I don't know. What do people think of Fianna Fáil in the aftermath of it? So yeah, I think politics is changing in, in loads of ways that are um, nuanced and that are not necessarily about the personality or the, or the part. They're, they're, they're broader um, changes that are that are occurring that I find it weird. Then that stuff is getting siloed into the the conversations that we used to have or the ways that it used to be, you know. And I think people, like you're so right, Andrea. People don't ultimately just don't fucking care about these tribes, really. Um, they care about what they're going to do for them, and I think that's what Jim McConnell did actually hit on with, with his line about that that Sinn Fein seems to understand the scale, not necessarily have all the solutions. Um, our sixth takeaway, what is that? Number six. <laughs> um, this is way harsh type. No, it's not. Uh, Fine Gael are really bad at campaigning. Um, their foregrounding of Sinn Féin continues to hurt them. It's negative campaigning. They've damaged themselves in this election and it's all part of the male culture of entitlement. So following on from the maybe switcheroo of ego to issues um, that, again, trying to bring down another party without having uh, anything to talk about of your own stuff, really. And even this, like when it came to it, what are the Fine Gael policies? It was housing. And then when was asked about housing, wouldn't answer. Um, and all they kind of really came... And, I think James Gagan was a very positive guy and ran a positive maybe campaign himself, whereas the party kind of came out with the negative stuff against Sinn Féin mm. and kept going for Sinn Féin. Um, Which and, really damaged Gagan, actually. Yeah, and I think if he had maybe give, been given more space to talk himself, now I don't know if that was a decision that was made that he wasn't going to speak for the whole campaign um, at any stage, um, or, well, he did a couple of Vorti interviews. I know, but like he never, when he was at, when he was door stopped anywhere, he was like Simon Cove and he put his arm around him and led him away or like he literally didn't have a peep out of him. Um, and I think that if you're not going to say anything apart from talk about 
and you've said this for years, I think, at this stage of like, there's no point in like having a party that doesn't have anything to stand for. And all they stand for is taking down the other, the opposition. What do you actually have to say for yourself? Yeah, that was the perfect. James Gagan was the perfect candidate to illustrate that because he didn't have anything to say for himself a lot of the time, as well as the party policy lines either. Yeah, I think it 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 does speak to so much stuff within Finnegal, um, and I could talk about this for hours, but I won't. But I think that the superficiality um, of again, similar to Finnegal, but in a different way, it's like. Let's get somebody who looks the part, who seems the part, who is saying these, you know, very surface ideas that sound progressive, I guess. But what is the substance like underneath that all? And, you know, this this 15 minute city thing. Like it's an idea, (laughs) you know, it's not a suite of policies and it sounds great. And, you know, but but ultimately we could all say, do you know, do you know what I stand for? Nice things that you'll like. And it's like, where's the substance? And I, I think it's funny how poor they are actually at campaigning, even to reach the people in the constituency, which would have been older, wealthier voters. Okay, you have an issue there when you when you have a young younger person talking about a 15 minute city, like does the average 60 something or 70 something in in Rathgar, you know, with their their two cars and, and their massive gaff care about that? Like, no. So even on a cynical level, that doesn't seem to connect either. Um, I was shocked by um, the reaction from the guys in Fine Gael to my my piece last week about the qualifications of the candidates. Um, Why did something happen? <laughs> <laughs> but the the I didn't engage with it during the week because I don't I'm not interested in you know stirring the pot in that way. Um, but the pylon from male Finnegal politicians was you know intense, and it's not lost to me that it was all for the most part men. Um, I think that they're is a big issue of self, a lack of self-awareness there in the party. And uh, I don't think it's particularly normal to kind of go for a journalist in that way. I'm well able for it, whatever, it's over now. Um, and they ended up repeating the analysis that that I offered uh, when they'd lost. Um, there just seems to be a profound lack of self-awareness there. And... You know, the three lads then outside the count centre, like Harris, Radker and Gagan, just kind of standing there in their suits and go, no, we're just going to like, obviously, you know, Van is better. And we do them. you know, and we actually got to held up the share of the vote, which they didn't. I think they lost about a, a percent and a half, you know, whatever margins. But like just trying to kind of constantly be in, be in this cycle of spin and not actually go be authentic about what happened. And it's like, oh, my God, do you even know what happened? Like, do you know why this isn't working? And the reflex to constantly attack Sinn Féin, you know, which is like not a massively, it's not a relevant party to their voters in this constituency. And to be trying to shore up uh, voter turnout or, or invigorate the base, the depleting base in this constituency by 
these kind of like red scare type tactics um, and that tweet that went out on Thursday night, like I, I just thought that was outrageous. And, and the excusing of it going, well, everybody tries to get their people out to vote. It's like this broad characterization of particular areas of the country, particular people is like, oh, the, the shinners are coming out, you know? Oh my God. Like why? Because there's high turnout in working class areas, like much higher than in wealthier areas. I just think that really, you know, th- that kind of device rhetoric is very, very bad, you know. But also when you're playing into people's fears that they're yeah. afraid somebody's going to get in rather than playing into what could be and the potential and the hope of what you could bring really just highlights that they don't have anything to sell, that they're actually just trying to make people afraid of what the alternative is. Or what they are selling is not actually palatable and in tune with what people want. You know, what their what their vista for society uh, is is not is quite out of step with, you know, the average person in Ireland. And therefore, you know, to you can't really say like, well, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna uh what we stand for is voting for this stamp duty thing the night before the election and then the day of the election nobody being around for the affordable housing bill. You know, you can't really say that. Um, but yeah, and I, 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 I mean, look, I've said it a million times, this, this reflex to attack Sinn Féin is just music to Sinn Féin's ears. All it does is make Sinn Féin really happy, gives them loads of opportunities to go see what they're doing, see what they're like. We live, live rent-free in your heads. And uh, I mean, just tactically even on a on a cynical level on a cynical strategic level why they keep doing it when it keeps going wrong is just like bananas <laughs> i think it's really interesting though also that you tap into there of like if you're if you actually can't palate saying what your policies are and what you actually stand for in public and that it has to be kind of like look, we do represent the rich, but we're not going to say it. Or like, look, we do want to have like all these brass plate companies in, but we're not going to say it. That is actually really depressing, Martini. Mm. Um, And also on your column, I thought it was really interesting that if you look at how the relationship between media and politics is, we have a very healthy kind of, democratic relationship where if you heard what happened with that column in a maybe less democratic country you'd be like oh my god this is bananas I can't believe that is happening like how do they let that happen and that happened here I think is a really interesting thing as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah felt very strange um I suppose as well it kind of exposed I you know the piece was really misinterpreted by people um, you know, I'd specifically written that people's backgrounds shouldn't be held against them. That privilege isn't an original sin, that it's what you do with that. Mm-hmm. Yet the column was misrepresented by Fine Gael politicians saying that I was attacking this person's background, which I absolutely wasn't. You know, I was just saying what it what it is. Mm. And that kind of ver- and I also said in the piece, you know, when you when you do say this, like, you know, Fine Gael people get up in arms and, you know, that is exactly what they did. I really think it's interesting to me because it kind of illustrates to me the bubble that I live in 
where the characterizations of Fine Gael and um, by virtue of the, the policies that they implement and their their vista for the country are widely spoken about. Like, you know, I chat all the time with my friends about like, oh, well, you know, who Fine Gael are and what they stand for and who they protect and whose interests they're serving. Um, and it really is, it's just so interesting, the shock that greets when you actually just say something like that. Um, a lot of people are saying to me like, oh, you said the quiet part loud. And I think it also exposes the Fine Gael bubble that that is actually never said. And that's why they're reacted so vigorously to it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I think they may not see their reaction, how I see it, but I see it very clearly because I have dealt with a lot of this kind of pushback, you know, for, for all of my career when you're just, I, I just think I'm just saying something honest and then people go mental. And again, you know, not to make too fine a point on it, like, there weren't, I don't think I saw any, maybe there was one that or a few that I missed, like any um, female Fine Gael politicians coming for me. And, and that's interesting because it's like, I wonder how they feel about a, another dude in his thirties being picked up majorly by the party because yeah, I guess like a lot of those kind of, younger like men with loads of opportunities in life like don't really see themselves in Fine Gael. like they don't they don't they don't they don't have that self-awareness they're just like no we're we're great and we're entitled to be here and yeah I think when you call that out it can it can really hurt um anyway so yeah that their their issues with campaigning are large and they annoy people and I wrote a piece today in the times that like Maybe Kate O'Connell would have won. Maybe she wouldn't have. Personally, I think Bacic probably still would have won, given how the the number of transfers she could got from get from so many different areas. But and obviously Kate O'Connell would have got more transfers from uh, people who are voting for women. That's just how it happens. There are different alliances. They're not all political. Um, but I think that she would have saved Finnegal from themselves because they won't. They lost the by election or whatever but they also kind of damaged themselves a good bit with their carry on. And I think a candidate who was less divisive, I suppose, uh, would have softened that a bit for them. Um, Anyway, our seventh takeaway is about how the shift to centre-left had already happened, but has now been compounded. Um, I'm fascinated by that paper uh, in progress that Aidan Regan and Stefan Muller did in UCD about the shift from centre-right to centre-left in the Irish electorate and the, and the data backs it up. And this this constituency used to be quite conservative, very conservative, but already the shift between 2016 to 2020, 2016, there were three kind of more conservative politicians elected, one, two and three. Um, and in... 2020, that changed. Eamon Ryan topped the poll, then Chris Andrews, then Owen Murphy, then O'Callaghan. Obviously, Kate O'Connell lost her seat. And now you have a situation where the politicians representing this constituency are Eamon Ryan, Ivana Bacic, Chris Andrews and Jim O'Callaghan. And that changing from it being the constituency of two Fine Gael seats or of Lucinda or of 
McDool or Francis Fitzgerald or people like that. I mean, it's also the constituency of Rory Quinn for 30 years, uh, which which is relevant. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's that change um, and this insistence during the campaign to call, you know, this is Finnegal Heartland, Finnegal. No, it was. And it was had already changed. And now it is not. And you can just not call somewhere that does not have a sitting TD from a particular party, that party's Heartland. And we may see that repeated uh, writ large over many constituencies the next time a general election comes around. So say to that, woohoo! <laughs> what is our eighth takeaway, Andrea? That people are engaging uh, with politics in a different way. That like there's a more pop culture aspect to it, like with the Simpsons fans memes, with the all the different types. Uh, parties and candidates are coming under more scrutiny. You really have to go way back, really, don't you, uh, with social media. And that you have to be relatable and authentic and appeal to your audience. And this feels like a brief written for an influencer or maybe a brand. (laughs) And that kind of is indicative of where we're at in politics now that you aren't just coming to politics uh, anymore to be like, you you are becoming a brand within yourself. And we talked about that a little bit with Mazer and the posters that you are, you're, you're, creating these emotional connections with people in many different ways, whether that's your new posters, whether you're, and it's the same way of operating that a brand operates. Um, and I suppose, yeah, it's like, and people are, new people are getting engaged in it in a way that came on the back of the referendums that really brought people into the fore because it was so relevant to their lives. And then they kind of got hooked a little bit on it. And and the way that we communicated changed from those uh, because it became such a grassroots thing that it's not just, a, it, it doesn't feel like politicians are far away anymore. It's like, we're all part of this and we're all organizing and that they need us as much as we need them. And that we're kind of all, uh, yeah, engaging and performing and, uh, and being influencers. Yeah, and I think... The, the key part of that, which we'll get to in a sec as well, is that it's not enough to have the aesthetic or the uh, tactics or tools of that. It has to be backed up. And I think where Fine Gael are falling down is that they're doing the tactic and they're doing the aesthetic and the tools and like, I'm on TikTok or here's a video or whatever. Well, this kind of influencer to influencer-y type content, but they don't have they don't necessarily have with a lot of their candidates, the backup of the substance. And when you looked at like Ivana Bacic was also doing, I think it's really interesting when you look at like, if you take two things like campaign videos and the final day of, of canvassing Ivana Bacic's videos were all about like her legacy and her activism. And like, she could, she could point to the past to show that she was, you know, in, she wanted to be portrayed as the real deal because she had the past to back that up and you know the archive documentary style footage um that that hark back to somebody okay this is somebody who's been like on the you know at the coal face of this for a long time despite the fact that she too comes from um you know privileged background but she has used her privilege in a different way over a longer period um which is very hard to compete with in the authenticity stakes 
And then also on the final day of her campaigning, like she too had volunteers out on the bridges of the canal with their banners and stuff. But it was funny looking at them, like even the banners were like homemade, you know, they're like hand painted or whatever. And, you know, just this vista of Simon Harris and and Pascal Donoghue, like standing with these sandwich boards, which obviously are instantly going to become memes, you know, and like people just like, changing them to say repent ye shinners or like the end is nigh you know like it's just so mad to me how they don't know that that's going to happen or or how something I don't know maybe I mean maybe politicians shouldn't think about that but like you are kind of setting yourself up to get laughed out of it if you don't have the authenticity is such an abused word if you're operating in a space that doesn't feel natural make sure you understand that space before you start acting in it um and i think that like that would be something you advice you would give to a brand if you're going to like let's say you're a brand going into the music space you can't just go into the music space and then be like hey guys i love this music do you like it no you have to like have an understanding of the space you're operating into communicate with your audience and the same is for politics you can't just go into tiktok and be like hey guys i'm on tiktok isn't that rad no it's not like that's not how tiktok works so you have to like you have to develop that part of you before you start communicating that part and when you're authentic and when you do have the substance you can actually go into pretty much any space and and your message and the authenticity of that will come through because you're not just trying to be a tiktoker you're you're using TikTok to spread your message. Exactly. Our ninth takeaway is good news for everyone. The far right failed utterly again. Which is good news for democracy, of course. The professor got 169 for his preferences and the wee man with big issues got 183. Um, so... I thought I would have more relatives than that. <laughs> Yes, uh, really good news uh, for people who espouse conspiracy theories and um, hateful rhetoric to uh, get parked. Um, and, you know, oftentimes like there is a disproportionate uh, amount of attention maybe or, or voice given to certain figures. But I don't think there's a disproportionate level of concern because vigilance and um, knowing any perceived like threats to logic, democracy, safety, uh, kindness, compassion that these kind of forces uh, present is very, very important. So I think that the the electorate there of that constituency showed that they get that and that these people were rightly humiliated at the ballot box um, and they should be um, continue to be humiliated uh, as long as they keep talking absolute hateful pony. Okay, and it's our 10th takeaway. Our 10th takeaway of the Dublin Bay South by-election. Andrea. This is maybe controversial, but maybe it's time for politicians to play a bit more by the rules, uh, which is a dating trope, um, because just begging for votes doesn't work anymore. People want substance they want people to walk the walk rather than just talk the talk. And there was such an air of desperation in the last few weeks of people just going, guys, please just vote for us. We really need this for the party. Please, begging you. And it was just so 
scarlet and then to come out with the like with the that Sinn Féin hot take um, on the last few hours again just desperate so maybe it's like guys if you're confident in what you're offering you wouldn't have to be so baggy and maybe get the maybe read the rules excellent takeaways as the dust settles there's you know chatter about what happens next um Mary Lou is calling for a general election when is she not <laughs> um Fianna Fáil are just kind of like frozen um very rab- big kind of bunny and headlights energy coming off Fianna Fáil now um and what what about Fine Gael, Andrea do you think they're going to really take stock and take lessons from this and self-reflect and really understand you know where they're falling down and and how they actually have to connect with candidates with substance well, there was there was a poll done on Twitter uh, by by someone, uh, and it was like, who are Fine Gael going to blame for this uh, loss? And it was which woman actually are Fine Gael going to blame for this? It was like, is it going to be Malali? Is it going to be Kate O'Connell? Is it going to be blah blah? And it was like the front page then of the Daily Mail was like, Kate O'Connell, no way back for her. And then there was the op-ed in the Irish Times of like, guys, there was a, what is this column that's spouting this stuff? Uh, so I have a feeling that they're going to continue down that path. Mm. The sales of blue shirts are safe for the lads. For the uh, lads. But you know what? I'm intrigued now of how what Labour are going to do with this victory because mm. they really have an opportunity to make, to like pivot, pivot. I know we're not allowed to say that on this podcast, but uh, there banned. Is, it's banned. There is such an opportunity and it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of that. And like Labour are in such a good position in terms of like the calibre of their teams that they have they're very young they're progressive like the likes of Annie Howie going in Rebecca Moynihan and their senators like I I am watching with interest I have to say I think it's interesting um how the tension between Kate O'Connell and Leah Radker and Fine Gael um meant that because she backed Coveney in the leadership battle and obviously you know had that choir boys comment about Al Murphy and so on that meant that she couldn't even, you know, go for the the nomination because she felt that everything was tied up and Gagan had, you know, got so much support from all the different groups and all that kind of stuff within the party, party membership. Um, and that kind of cooked her goose, I suppose. But in the Labour leader contest, Ivana Bacic backed Aona Reardon. Yet you didn't see the same tension or sidelining or anything of that from Alan Kelly. He was, you know, doing his thing, like delighted with the win, obviously, obviously huge time for the candidate. And that kind of says something, I think, that like Labour, obviously they'll take what they can get and they've had a miserable decade. But there's something about what happens when you're building and what happens when you're kind of falling apart. And I think that people always think that I'm being way too dramatic about Fine Gael's existential crisis or whatever, and that there'll always be a centre-right vote there and la, la, la. But I think that they will find, if they do not self-reflect and if they don't kind of understand what the electorate doesn't like about them, 
they really run the risk of going down the same road as Fianna Fáil in the existential crisis stakes. Because when you when people aren't very clear about what people stand for and when people aren't very clear about who you are and when you kind of also keep denying who you are, you end up not really being able to connect. All of a sudden there's like a floundering that happens. Um, and it's open for interpretation as well. Yeah. People to decide who you are without you being, without you that, that being who you are. Yeah, exactly. Then all of, yeah, exactly. People just project all of their, you know, cliched grievances onto you. Um, and I, I think that they're in a, quite a risky spot. And um, it's funny, there is less conversation about Leah Varadkar's leadership than Micheál Martin's. Um, I have no doubt, given how they've responded to this kind of stuff before, like, you know, to come on the back of the 2020 general election to pick a candidate like James Gagan, you know, it's not his fault. It's, it's, he was chosen to pick somebody who's so kind of culturally and socially out of step with um, where Irish or people in Ireland are is show, you know, demonstrates a lack of self-awareness. And if they keep doing that, and I think they, they probably are much more likely to double down on it than to try and get away from it. Um, I think they could be in a, in a spot of bother. And what, what I would fear is that the damage, the collateral damage that they cause in the meantime with, you know, kind of gaslighting people through their lack of self-awareness or, you know, negative campaigning and all that kind of stuff, you know, causes a different kind of damage then to how we, how we, how we all are and, and hopefully try and respectfully engage with each other and, and it, it damages civility and, um, that really worries me. And I think, uh, you know, like you cannot keep saying that you're like the best boys and you're the adults in the room and, you know, you're, you know, everybody needs to calm down and blah, blah, blah. When you are then turning around and being really negative and quite like populist. Um, they did that, you know, an awful lot during the general election with their campaigning. So, you would wonder if there's space then for the sock Dems to swoop in with their steady kind of their very under what's the word I want to say? Well, they're not they're not as showy and they're not no. as but they have like power hungry kind of but they have the meat they have and they're they're I've start, definitely noticed them getting a lot sparkier mm-hmm. and a lot kind of feistier. Um, and with their points. So I wonder if their level headedness and like, obviously they didn't do very well in this by-election, but because whatever reason, but I wonder if there is more space for them coming through. I think if you can get the candidates, um, if you, if you can get the candidates and if people respect what you're saying um, and, and, and feel that you're not there to be, cutting strips off another party, which I think people just don't, don't like, you know, Uh, people want to get on with things and they want decent, smart, competent people who aren't totally crazy uh, or have mad shit in their past to be in charge of things and do it well. 
and have nice things and a high quality of life and not an insane housing crisis. Like there's like, that's what people want. And it might just take a bit longer because they're not as show ponies. Yeah. They need to, and they need to build the party as well. But I think when you look at, you know, for me, two of the best TDs in the doll are, are sock Dam TDs. They're Holly Kearns and Gary Gannon, you know? And I think that we've also seen some very good, oh, I hate to use the word performances, but, but, input contributions from from labor politicians as well can we really say the same about finnafall and finnegal politicians i've you know there's there's a disproportionate there's a disproportionate amount of criticism and there's a and, and there's a very heightened temperature of, of dislike and people rightly say you know politicians get so much shit on social media la 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 but like Yes, that's true. But people need to ask why. Like, it's not just about the extent of your unpopularity. It's about the temperature of it. And like people really, really, really dislike Fine Gael and are act accordingly in their giving out or in their trashing of them on, you know, online or off, whatever. And that apart heat, from the, apart from the ones who really like them, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that the heat—it's it, what I'm saying—is the heat of a dislike is very important. Uh, it's not, you know, because it doesn't correlate to their support because they couldn't get their base out, and there there weren't enough people who were like loving James Gagan and love Fine Gael and they're going to go out and do that, but. It's the heat of the dislike, which is very unpleasant, of course, you know, that I think is quite relevant. Um, and when you look at how they're being memed and all the, even when you look at the average like Irish internet comedian, you know, tearing strips off the government, like that sentiment is real. And uh, that's that's relevant, like, because that's where the, that's lapping on the, shore of the discourse you know that kind of very heightened um rhetoric and and feeling and a very real feeling and it's born out of the housing crisis because those policies have hurt people they've damaged people's mental health they've scuppered people's opportunities and futures they're financially crippling people it's a massive stress it's a it's really hard context. It's causing people to have to uproot their lives to different countries, to different parts of a country that they maybe never conceived of moving in before. It's a constant burden that hundreds of thousands of people in this country are carrying. And there's a reason for that. And it is the policies of the past decade. So you cannot turn around and say, we're going to run this by-election on housing and we're going to have somebody who managed to buy, like, you know, it's not his fault. Somebody who bought a gaff in their early 30s in a really wealthy part of the country, you can't go, I'm going to be a voice for a generation of housing. I mean, it kind of reminded me of Hannah from Girls, you know. Um, I think I'm the voice of the generation or at least a voice of a generation. Um, you know, it, it, it's so the grandiosity um is ridiculous and the disconnect is profound um, and, and not getting that or thinking that you could actually 
barrel straight into your most failed uh, policy or, or is is bananas. You're like, I mean, the lack of self-awareness to, to, to do that is, is, is truly wild. And unless Fine Gael stop taking advice from each other or, or step out of their bubble, they did the exact same thing in the 2020 general election. They thought they could win a general election on their performance on Brexit and on macroeconomic issues when people were just like, we're in a housing crisis and the cost of living is huge and the quality of life is shit. They, they need to, if they want to be relevant and survive, they need to quit the nastiness. They need to stop attacking a party that benefits from every single attack and they need to step out of their bubble and uh, talk to people who do not think that Fine Gael is the greatest thing in the world because if they don't do that there used to be a joke during the at the outset of the the global financial crash 2008 or whatever where, you know, when our Iceland's banking system collapsed and there was this joke about like, you know, what's the difference between Ireland and Iceland? You know, one letter in three months. You know, what's the difference between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil? Okay, good few more letters and, and a couple of years. They don't find an identity that genuinely connects with a new version of events that Irish people and people in Ireland have. They are going to... Uh, become irrelevant and that's coming down the line so a lot of reflection time for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, an opportunity for Labour uh, an election for Sinn Féin a general election and a lot of potential uh, for the Sock Dems if they build if they build it they will come this podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and the Greens again <laughs> the Greens again yeah I think the Greens would be happy if people just forgot they were in government um, and uh, just supported them on their other policies. Um, that, or the podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Casway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. Thank you so much for sticking with us over the past month or so with our Dublin Bay South um, unnecessary podcast bonanza that we actually found quite necessary indeed in the end. And enjoyable. And enjoyable. What's our tuna chicken roll this week? So it's a bizarre chicken roll. I wanted it to be something that reflected where we stand at the moment. And it is Up Where We Belong by Jennifer Warrens and Joe Cocker. <laughs> I've been Una Mullally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was The Aftermath. Who knows what tomorrow brings In a world All I know is the way I feel When it's real, I keep it alive The road is long There are mountains in our way But we climb the stairs every day The lift is up where we belong Where the eagles cry 
Time. 